Father, bless us as we open your word now for the time we have remaining. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week was fun. I got to be elsewhere. I came back on uh, Monday, and I just heard nothing but good things. I heard great things about the time you had had together as a church. Attendance was good. People enjoyed the ministry fair, and Evan did an incredible job uh, in preaching. I just heard that over and over again. So I'm thanking the Lord, and then here we are back together again. Now after you hear me preach, maybe you won't come back again. It's like, wait, we want to hear Evan again. Why are you back? Well, there's a change coming to this young man's life. Next Sunday, by next Sunday, if this baby isn't here, I don't know what's going to happen, right, Rochelle? Okay, we have no idea, but they are waiting for a baby, and by next Sunday, it'll be here. It's going to be here, okay? So, so that's all good. Um, but it's good. We're off to a great start, and I have known for a long time, it's easy to start stuff. Finishing strong is the difficult part. How do we finish Well. Uh, and we want to. We want to get to the end of the year and go, man, this entire year has been good. But you know what that's going to take? It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take something on the part of each of us who are here with high energy and excitement now to sustain this kind of thing so that we get to the end of the year and say, man, the entire year was good, not just a Sunday or two in September. Now, we can measure our commitment. We won't know what our commitment really is until we get into the ministry year. Our commitment is measured by this one simple statistic. How much pushback are we willing to push through? When the difficulties come, when it's going to take going over, under, around, or through something, how hard are we willing to work at that? That's what measures our commitment. Because we can all be committed when everything is great and going easy and there's no effort involved. Well, the book of Hebrews is written to some people who are experiencing real, palpable pushback on their walk with Jesus Christ. And they're asking the question, quite honestly, is it worth continuing? Should I stay this course And the writer to the book of Hebrews is concerned that some are ready to abandon the course. And that's at least one of the things that's motivating him to write. And just as a brief review before we get into our text, and I will stay aware of the time, people. So I know we're starting a little later, but I'll I'll stay aware of the time. I just want to remind us that uh, for four chapters, we've said this repeatedly throughout the summer, there were four chapters where where the writer to the Hebrews was pointing out that in Jesus Christ we had a better priesthood and a better covenant. In fact, they were the ultimate priesthood and the ultimate covenant. And then verse 18 of chapter 10 said, Now where there is remission of these based upon the better priesthood, the sin, the forgiveness of sin, based upon the better priesthood, the better covenant, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus Christ is that final statement that God makes on how sin is to be dealt with in our lives. That final place. And then we want to move in today to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Just a few verses later, and we're going to see that that the reality that, yes, people are questioning, do they stay tough to the Lord by what the writer says. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my change, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul." We have in our discussion in the book of Hebrews talked uh, about and identified that, that the writer to the book of Hebrews is encouraging his audience to move on, always to go deeper, not to give up on their walk with Jesus Christ regardless of the cost. That's why we have called this, this entire series Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. When we are hitting the headwinds and we're not sure if it, if it merits us staying, staying true to Jesus Christ because it's costing us something, the writer to Hebrews says, yeah, we hang true. We hang true because there are, there's this anchor for the soul that nothing can shake of a better priesthood and a better, better covenant all found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we do not give that up. It is the solution to the problem of sin and this broken world. And so I want to just throw this out, make sure we have this in our limited amount of time, just fill in the notes that's, that we're just trying to make this point. If we reject God's solution... If we reject God's solution, then we're still stuck with our problem. Our problem is that we are sinners and we are guilty before a righteous God. That's our problem. Now, he has made, through this better priesthood and better covenant of Jesus Christ, he's made and offered to us an ultimate solution to our sin problems. In fact... He referenced it immediately in this book. 
And we learn from what is said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I believe we at least get a hint to where he was going to be going. Describing Jesus Christ, he says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we know that he waits there until his enemies are made his footstool. The solution has been brought forth in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And it is an ongoing solution because we have an eternal priest, the book of Hebrews told us. He's not one who died and they had to replace him. An eternal priest died, yes, as a sacrifice, but raised again the third day and now sits at the right hand of the Father. There's this ongoing solution for sin being offered as Evan challenged us. We who have received it to continually make it known to others this offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. We call that the gospel. It's ongoing. It is still real and available while Christ awaits that appointed time when he returns in glory. Now here's what this passage that we're dealing with in verses 26 and 27, here's what it tends to indicate. If we reject God's ongoing solution, there's nothing left to replace it. You see, if we embrace it, it is an ongoing thing, continually effective for us. But if we reject it, what do we have to replace the solution that is found in Jesus Christ? that is effective to deal with the problem of our sin. The writer to Hebrews is saying, there's nothing to replace it other than this very stern warning. We're left with the problem of judgment, ultimately. He says in verse 28 that the judgment under Moses, under the law, which by two or three witnesses was very severe. It was real. And he says in verse 29, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy? Say, if under Moses there was this judgment for those who who rejected God's redemptive work under the law and under Moses' leadership and what God was revealing, says, how much more do you think somebody is worthy of judgment, of punishment, if... And notice what rejecting Christ, this rejecting this whole thing, turning away from it. Notice what we did. There's three things involved with that. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you suppose? Think about this, he says. If it was severe under Moses, how much worse is it, do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has, one, trampled the Son of God underfoot? There's three different ways he will point out here in which we disrespect what God has made available to us. The first one is we trample the Son of God underfoot. God says, I have made a way for you. I have made a solution for your sin available through the person of my Son, the better high priest, the better covenant. It will remain in effect for you. It is there. And if we decide to say, you know, I don't really want that, it's like we just trample on Jesus Christ. He's not that significant. He's not that important. I don't think that I really care to embrace who he is. We just sang a little bit earlier about Lord be, Jesus being Lord of all. Now I think I'll pass on embracing that. I don't think I'll worship him as such. 
Remember the writer in Hebrews said, how much more, if it was severe under Moses, how much more if we deal with Christ in this way? It says, for this one, Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 3 says, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. It says that very clearly. Because of what Christ has done in this ultimate better priesthood, better covenant, he's counted as worthy of more glory. Well, if under Moses there was severe judgment, He asks, how much more do you think it'll be when a greater one we have disrespected by trampling the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? Think about that. You know, every time we share in the Lord's table, what do we we remind ourselves that Jesus said on the night of the Last Supper? With the cup, he said, this is the cup in my blood of the new covenant. This blood that Jesus shed is different than any blood that any man or woman has ever shed for anyone else before. Do people die for causes? Absolutely. Do people die for those they love? Absolutely. Do people sacrifice themselves one for another? We have seen hundreds of thousands, millions of times in history where that has happened. But to reject Jesus Christ's death on our part is like to say, well, it's no different than anybody else who dies for a friend or a family member. It's no big deal. It's common. People do that all the time. What's the big deal about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for this supposed bearing of our sins. Do you remember a few years back, we had a president who stated, I'm not trying to get political, I'm trying to get you to understand God's perspective. We had a president who stated that America is no more exceptional than any other nation is exceptional. They're all exceptional in their own unique way. All right? Not trying to get political. But do you remember the anger and the blowback to that? Because there are some people who really believe America is exceptional in a unique way. And for those who believe America is exceptional in a unique way, to say America is no different than any other nation, those who hold America has been different in the history of all nations, were deeply offended to hear that, well, every nation is exceptional in some way in its own unique history. And there was deep offense that. Now, what I'm trying to get you to uh, pay attention to is trying to identify with the deep offense to say, ah, America is just like every other country. Imagine God's deep offense when we say, Jesus dying on the cross is like anybody else who died for someone they loved. There's no different. We make it common. Happens all the time. Not going to embrace this thing of Jesus as anything more significant. And God says, I'm offended that you would speak that, think that, uphold that of my son, who is significantly different in what he did than anybody who ever died and shed their blood for anyone else. That's the second thing, is we disrespect Christ better and new covenant because we counted the blood of the covenant as a common thing. And the third way that we disrespect is we disrespect the revealing work of the Spirit. 
and insulted, the last part of verse 1, the spirit of grace, the spirit that is revealing to us this magnificent redemptive work that God has been doing through the ages, has culminated in Jesus Christ, is ongoing and available for each of us today. And the spirit of God reveals that to us through the word. Through when somebody, again, like Evan, is out sharing along a basketball court, sharing Christ, and the Spirit of God takes that and reveals it to these young guys along the side of the basketball court and speaks into their hearts, and we disrespect the revealing work of the Spirit of God as to what God is doing. And so the writer says, how, how much more worthy are we of, of some form of punishment, some form of a response When we do this to the one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the Lord will judge his people. You see, God always reserves to himself the right to bring judgment as he alone knows what is perfectly just in bearing judgment upon any person or group. God never relinquished his right to judge. And so the writer says to these in Hebrews who are kind of like, I'm not sure, it's getting uncomfortable here. He says to them, in order to avoid failing in our commitment to Christ, one, we need to consider what we have already invested. Verse 32, recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. He says, consider, you've already been engaged in this. And why? Why were you willing to go through the suffering before? Because that hasn't changed. Knowing, the end of verse 40 says, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. And he is reminding his readers, we do not live for this world. We do not live for this world's promises, for this world's goods, uh, for this world's end. We live for a God who is in heaven. He's doing a redemptive work. And we live to hear one day him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we don't look for the rewards that are ours tomorrow or later this week or in the next month or five years. We look for rewards that only God can give. And in light of that, he said, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He goes on to say, Christ is coming in God's God's good time. He says, we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. We don't go back to fall under God's judgment. We're following this right through. We are pushing through to the end because we understand what the end is, what Jesus Christ has done, and what God is promising. My friends, we're going to wrap that up there. Can I tell you this? I watched this morning as this praise team was up here and I saw that I was, I was literally smiling in the back because I could identify with the praise team that was up here in three different specific situations. I knew God's doing a redemptive work in that person's life. And I literally smiled back there to know their testimonies. That's one thing. And then I looked out among our congregation and I was near to weeping because I promise you, friends, Everybody's not feeling the upside of our redemption. There are people in this congregation who are broken and who are hurting 
and who need God's strength every day just to get through a day. And I saw more than one here who I know this person is struggling. And they need God to strengthen them to endure And sometimes, friends, when we're in that place and we just feel like it's washing over us, it is quite possible that we would say, Lord, it isn't worth it anymore. I've got to find a different solution because this Jesus thing isn't working. And the writer to the Hebrews says, endure. Yes, it means literally to hold up under. Yes, it's not fun, but we endure and we keep pushing through because the only place where there's a solution to this dark and broken And sinful world, the only place where there is a solution is in Jesus Christ. And so we endure. We push through. My friends, I'm always always leery to throw out um, trite phrases or comments to people who are in difficult times because the burdens are great. As you run into people this week, they need your encouragement If you're doing great, they need your encouragement. If they're enduring, they need your encouragement to hang on one more day, to be reminded that there is a good end to this. So don't give up. Keep going. Father, thank you for the exhortation that we never abandon, ever, under any circumstances, our commitment to Jesus Christ, for the reminder that he alone is an eternal hope, in him alone are eternal and heavenly promises that you will fulfill in us. But Lord, sometimes the burden is literally overwhelming, and we get weighted down with it. And so I pray, Father, for those who today, and I, I would expect there are perhaps even dozens in our midst today, Lord, people who need the strength of your spirit to help them endure, to bear up under the load they carry right now. I pray, Father, you will be their strength, and I pray that as we become known, or we become aware of those uh, who are bearing these burdens, you will help us to to encourage them to endure, that we will help them bear their burdens, Father, that they might get to the end because there's been a brother or sister in Christ who's come alongside of them and has ministered your truth into their lives. Strengthen us today, Father. I pray that not one of us here, not one in this, in this worship center today, not one will turn back from the knowledge of Jesus Christ and from seeking him each day in our lives. For I ask it in his precious name. Amen.